Hello everyone, I'm Richard. And I'm Wesley, and thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee's On. In today's episode, we will be exploring the manual ways of brewing coffee. But what do we mean by manual brewing? Essentially, non-electric ways of making coffee that involve physical pressing, plunging, or pouring in order to brew, steep, or extract. There are many ways to do this, but the four most popular are AeroPress, French Press, V60, and Chemex pour-overs. And of course, we need to try some coffee. Today's blend comes from Lincoln, Nebraska, our hometown. Wesley's mother sent it to us as it's a new roastery in the city. Thanks, Mom. And she apparently swears by it, so... She really likes... There's a caramel-flavored one, I think, that they make, or caramel-hint-type one. She likes that one a lot, but she sent me this one. Yeah. So, the name of the roastery is Canyon Coffee Roasters, and they are attached to Bagels and Joe on Old Cheney Road. So, they serve Canyon Coffee at Bagels and Joe, but you can also buy it wholesale or even subscription from their website or in the Bagels and Joe coffee shop. Yeah. So, this roast is their Canyon Blend, which is a medium dark roast. So, Wesley, what are we tasting? Well, this one was actually kind of, I must say... A little more difficult. We've been tasting lots of bold coffees lately, so I think I might have gotten a little too used to the, you know, the tarish quality of Maxwell House. But <laughs> I'd say that uh, this one, I really got semi-sweet chocolate right away. It kind of tastes like when you eat a bunch of um, like chocolate chips. It kind of got that taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I, I do get kind of a nuttiness. I thought it was almond and that comes through on the back. So it's in almost at the end of the tasting when you're about to swallow is when I get the almond flavor and it comes out in a sort of sweet kind of fruity. Now, almonds can taste like cherries in their hints, but you and I actually talked about it being very bright and uh, kind of like sweet in a fruity way. If, yeah, yeah, I um. My first impressions, I didn't get a, a lot of the the cocoa at all. Sure. I, that was more on the back taste for me, but mm-hmm. it was light and crisp uh, on the first taste. And I think that it's also with pour overs, you always kind of get a lighter, crisper taste. Um, I will say yeah. trying it in the, the standard drip coffee maker mm-hmm. was a little more full bodied, but it was very light and crisp with the pour over. I thought I got the nutty flavor. I did get that right away, not sure. as an aftertaste. I didn't really taste almond i don't want to say it was like peanuts or something it was just kind of a generic yeah flavor yeah and And it's really almonds kind of i feel like they unless they're very pronounced they can fit into this sort of generally nutty taste yeah and i agree i also got uh i originally wrote odie but i thought that was too dark now and it's a little more like grainy but not like texture grainy i mean like flavor grainy. so like flour and like think like white wheat breads like kind of sweeter breads yeah the, uh, yeah wheat's sort of like natural given sweetness yeah and i did get a little of the milk chocolate at the end i got it more when i put coffee in it uh, yeah. but it, it's that's kind of where i was sitting at sure um i did get a little bit of sweetness and i was trying to figure out what it was and i didn't know if it was like the sweetness from the grains um or the crispness of it i kind of got like apple sweetness but not yeah. like the flavor of apple I got just the sweetness you get from apples. Yeah, that's what that's what we had said. Like on the, the what is it, the organic sucrose or whatever that apples have? Yeah, so fructose. Fructose. Yeah. Yes, fruit, on the yeah. bag, it says it has a honey note, and I wonder if that is maybe what we're getting out of a fruit because apples and honey go together. Yes, and, and then honey and white bread are also yes, very similar and flavors. wheat too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then one of the last things it says on here is that it also has notes of rum. And I did get that in the aftertaste. And, and this is not like tasting the coffee, but after having like swallowed. So, <laughs> you know, like so like you're the coffee's just sitting on your tongue. It does have a sort of like white rum alcohol type aftertaste to it. Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It was, I it can was see unique. that. Like, it's one of those. Like, I wouldn't find it myself. But if someone said, like, "Hey, this is the aftertaste of it," or "This is the kind of final notes of it," I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I can see that now." Yeah, kind of a thing for sure. Um, but yeah, overall, the tasting flavors for this were honey, cocoa, almond, and rum. Interesting. So, so yeah. we got the cocoa. You got the almond. I got just kind of a generic nut flavor. Mm-hmm. The honey, we. I think we both tasted but couldn't place. And then the rum was like, eh, we can kind of see that now that we know we're searching for it. Yeah, and this is also a blend. So Mm -hmm. there's also, you know, you know, I mean, not to say that they're not right on their flavors, but you just never know that sometimes beans are a little bit different every time. Mm -hmm. So um, the notes come out in different ways. Also, we are recording this in the morning, which is what we're not accustomed to. We're usually used to recording this at night. So this is kind of maybe it we're just maybe my taste buds aren't fully awake yet because yeah. that's always a thing day. yeah yeah again and we're not sp- we're not sponsored by any of these coffees um that we try on this show we are really mm-hmm. recommending these based on just our own taste and if we like it and we are a little partial though because our hometown is lincoln nebraska so. yes if we haven't said that enough already on this podcast we're from lincoln nebraska <laughs> we should just start the podcast every every episode hi i'm wesley and God, i'm richard no. welcome to coffee's on we're from lincoln nebraska to escape that. did you know that all modern scent hounds are descendant of the bloodhound or that the Chihuahua's ancestor, the Tashiji dog, dates back to the Aztecs? Or that a border collie named Chaser knows 1,000 words? You know, the pit bull used to be considered America's dog and was our country's symbol in World War I. Did you know that you could learn all of these facts and more about dogs if you listen to our podcast, We're Getting a Dog? Each week, we go over a different breed's history and what it takes to own it. And we talk a little bit about why we love the breed and try to present each dog in a fair light. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you stream podcasts. From the Arcadia Podcast Network. So I'll be starting off this episode with the two that I researched, Aeropress and the French Press, which are both uh, pressure based forms of manual brewing. Wesley will do the pour over styles, but we'll be starting with Aeropress. So for those of you who don't know about this quirky way of making coffee, the Aeropress is one of the newest ways of brewing coffee, having been founded in 2005 by Alan Adler, and it has quickly risen in popularity. The Aeropress uses a steep method of brewing, but extracts through pressure. In a way, it's like a manual version of an espresso maker. Okay. And like I said, the Aeropress was invented in 2005 by Alan Adler, an an inventor and retired Stanford University engineering instructor. Uh, So he's very much all about like just designing things and like putting them out there on the market. Interesting. He originally invented what they call a revolutionary sporting goods industry, including the Aerobic Pro Flying Ring, which set a Guinness World Record for the longest throw. So this is those like instead of just a frisbee the one that's just like a giant flat ring oh yeah for sure so he invented that oh 
That wow. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of summer camp, actually, because yeah, exactly. those were like freebie toys they gave yeah. to you. They're also easy to catch because you can kind of just use your whole arm to catch it. Anyway, uh, Alan's yeah, <laughs> or your head. I mean, that's what people would try to do. Um, but anyway, Alan started studying coffee brewing in about 2004 in order to come up with something that was truly innovative and uh, create a superior cup of coffee. Then in November of 2005, at a coffee industry trade show, he debuted the AeroPress coffee maker under the company AeroBee. So this is uh, the company that he he made also this sporting goods, including this Aerobic Pro uh, flying uh, disc frisbee. So it's kind of weird that it's just like this whole sporting goods like and company then and then product. a coffee and a coffee product. Interesting. But as That's an cool. inventor, you just get in, interested in new things and yeah. then just create. So at the it's time, not, sorry to interrupt you. It's yeah. not uncommon too, as we'll see when we get to my stuff too, because that happens yeah. with my inventors. Yeah, for just this the inventors are like, huh? I want this to do better. Inventors Let, tend to invent more than just one field of yeah. things. I found, especially in like the even up to you know the 1960s, 70s, and today, like mm -hmm. like the radio station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 80s, 90s, and now. Yeah. <laughs> So at the time, it was not a huge hit, as the brewing method was too specific, and it didn't make a lot of coffee at once. Really, it's kind of like, I mean, it makes about as much, a little more than an espresso, and it was kind of like Keurig in like how much it would make. Like okay. It was just like a single single cup brew option got it like it wouldn't make you know a whole pot you can't make a like pot that. of coffee yeah, yeah. exactly uh, but it quickly found a niche in the specialty coffee community and erupted into a sensation with competitions and trade shows and became another darling in the third wave of coffee so mm -hmm. in that kind of specialty organic really yeah, i feel like this thing. this debuted at a uh, perfect time exactly yeah. yeah and now there are like i said competitions there's a u.s and a world aeropress competition like on just making the best AeroPress coffee you can. Oh, I thought it would be like who can drink the most AeroPress <laughs> no, coffee. No, <laughs> no. Uh, or sorry, uh, championship. It's the WAC World AeroPress Championship and then the USAC US AeroPress Championship. So, Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if you can get. How do you, how do you score tickets to that event? I don't know. <laughs> I would like to be a judge. That would be fun. <laughs> I would be so wired. Oh my from being god! A judge there. That's that's when our that's when we know our podcast is popular. Is when hey, do you want to be judges at the World Aeropress competition? That'd be fantastic. We'll fly you for free to. It's probably in a weird city like Minneapolis, like Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in 2017, Aerobi Sports was sold to Swimways Corporation, which is a subsidiary of Spin Master Limited. Spin Master, yeah. all the toys of my childhood. Because yeah. technically, Aerobi Sports was it was a sporting goods company. Sure, um, yeah, that but makes sense. Aeropress fell under the purview of, of, of course, Spin Master owns those little frisbees. Mm -hmm. um, and the name was officially changed to Aeropress Inc. Uh, so when it was purchased in 2017, so I think Spin Master probably consumed a lot of the sporting goods part of Aerobi Sports. Yeah. Um, but Aeropress became its own thing because it was obviously not a sporting goods right. product. And in 2019, they introduced the AeroPress Go Travel Coffee Press, so it's kind of like a smaller, slimmer, easier to pack, easier to clean style. Um, but Alan Adler still remains involved in the company as a minority interest, so he's still kind of developing and designing products for the company because they have this whole, like, accessory kit, which I'll talk about later, um, and he's the one who, like, I mean, he's a 
design engineer right mm-hmm. so like he's the one who created all of this yeah so what is an aeropress uh, i keep talking about this and uh a lot of people who have never heard of it are probably like what does this thing look like um and it essentially looks like one clear plastic tube inside another that's okay. kind of it looks like almost like a science experiment uh, like a beaker set so there's two uh tubes there's the larger tube or the chamber which holds the coffee ground water and a small filter and the smaller plastic tube which uh goes inside the, the bigger one and is used to push or plunge the water through the coffee grounds okay. and filter in order to create a fresh brew of coffee so this is where you get that kind of pressure system which is similar to how espresso is made so it's almost like a manual combination of a french press which we'll talk about in a second and an espresso machine is kind of like what an aeropress almost is like that's the easiest way to think about it it also has a wide lip uh, so you can set the aeropress on top of a coffee cup or travel mug and literally brew the coffee right into the mug so it has this kind of the main chamber uh has this you know just little lip to it you know centimeters lip so you can set it over coffee mug travel mug container of some sort uh, they they kept referring to it as vessel on their website. I'm like, that's generic, but really specific phrasing. Vessel. Anyway, a vessel, however you want to drink your coffee. And so you can literally just brew it right into the mug, which is why it's kind of like this single pole, single cup on the go, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing, which is really cool. <laughs> I'm thinking of it like Moira in Schitt's Creek. Pour the coffee into your vessel. <laughs> Into your drink boat. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm everywhere this morning. Yeah. Uh, so how so how is an AeroPress made? First, you're going to measure your coffee beans out and grind them to slightly finer than an espresso grind, which I thought was interesting. So like almost Turkish, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, AeroPress comes with a scoop in the packaging, so this should get you just under three tablespoons of coffee. So the one that they give you in the packaging is about three tablespoons of coffee, I think, in that single spoon. That's at least the way they described it on the website. Um, Second, uh, this one is about preheating. Uh, You'll place the microfilter. You do have to buy the microfilter separately. Mm -hmm. In the cap of the AeroPress... So you take the microfilter, put it in the chamber of the AeroPress, and pour in the hot water to preheat. So we also do this, and Wesley will talk about this later, with Chemex and uh, the V60 pour-overs. You have to, like, preheat or pre-wet these filters, because otherwise you get the, like, there's just kind of a sterile sterile chemically like flavor that comes on these filters. So it's actually good to preheat them and, or preheat the apparatus so that when the water drips through it kind of pulls that flavor off of it yeah. and then you dump that water out yes so you don't get that papery you taste the filter too. yeah yeah so, so you don't way. get that papery taste <clears throat> yeah you do not need to do that with a drip coffee filter because those are different yes so uh i would suggest you know doing this over you know whatever you're pouring it into because that will also preheat your coffee mug, your travel mug, whatever it might be. Third step is remove the excess water and add the coffee grounds into the AeroPress. Fourth is boil water and let it sit for 30 to 60 seconds to get it just below the boiling point. Otherwise, it would be too hot and scald the coffee. Fifth is pour a little of the boiling water into the grounds and stir them to allow aeration. So you don't want to put all the water in first. You want to let the beans aerate, the grounds aerate a little bit, and then Sixth, pour in the remaining hot water. The measurement should correspond with how many scoops you have used, and it is visibly labeled on the side of the AeroPress. So they actually have like a little circle and then a line. So the circle Mm. is how many scoops, and then the line next to it is how much water you want to put in. Okay. 
based on how many scoops. Uh, seventh is uh, wet the black rubber ring of the plunger, uh, so the smaller plastic tube, and then place it on top and slowly press down. So this is the actual like extraction method, but you do want to pre-wet that rubber. Yeah. You don't want dry rubber on plastic because it's not going to press down. It's going to slip and it's going to cause a whole accident. Yeah. Uh, eighth is... When the AeroPress makes a hissing sound, you are done extracting, and you can remove the AeroPress from atop your collection vessel. <laughs> this is instructions from their website. Uh, or the from the mug. vessel. Yes. Uh, a note here is if you press down way too easy, the grind was probably too coarse, and if it was too hard, then the grind was probably too fine. So you okay. have to adjust your grind settings for the next time. Interesting. Uh, and then ninth is... Dilute your coffee with hot water uh, to your desired strength or drink it straight. Um, but remember, an AeroPress is essentially a manual espresso, so it will be, be more concentrated. If you wish to savor the coffee for a longer time, diluting it with hot water or making essentially an Americano will make it last That's longer. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It sounds like you're kind of making a sort of Americano. Yeah, so you could do it on its own, like at full strength, but I would suggest diluting it just a little bit, like just boil a separate pot of hot water just kind of calm yeah. it down so now that you know how to make an aeropress coffee what should it actually taste like once you're done like i mentioned before aeropress is very similar to espresso just on a manual level so you'll get some of that kind of espresso bright light crisp flavoring yes but because aeropress uses a paper filter unlike espresso the filter catches a lot of the oils that might otherwise make an espresso a bit acidic or give it a little bit of a bite so it's going to be like less pungent, less kind of, you know, kick in the face kind sure. of a thing. Yeah. Um, and the AeroPress is said to have a smoother finish than espresso with a clearer and more defined cup taste. But the good thing about AeroPress is that you are more likely to get specific coffee notes from the taste, whereas an espresso you would not. So you can be more particular about the coffee blends you're choosing if okay. you want certain flavors. Sure. So it's not like an espresso where you just roast a medium to dark roast put it through the espresso machine and you get espresso like flavored coffee right, right. uh it, it actually has its own flavor palette so you can be a little more specific or particular about the flavors you put in and like i said earlier uh aeropress is still a bit of a niche way to make coffee but it's becoming more popular uh you'll see some coffee houses serve it as an option but it's usually kept as an at-home brewing method Sounds too like it'd be a. Uh, it's more of an ideal travel brewing method yeah, if you don't I, want to carry yeah, like a. Yeah, because of its compactness, you. it's actually really easy to easy to travel with. This would also be a good option for backpackers or campers yeah. as well if you want to have coffee while you're camping or in a RV or something like that. So you don't have to bring this whole, you know, uh, electric thing with you or this whole apparatus. I mean, it's a very small, easy sure. thing, um, and because it's literally just like a plastic tube inside of another plastic tube there's not a lot of a lot of moving parts it's not very easily breakable mm -hmm. you know it's super simple all you need are the filters essentially yeah. to make it work so buy a pack of filters get the aeropress you're essentially good to go as long as your coffee is ground the right way and have boiling water but lastly how much does it cost to own one of these things you'd think something like that is going to be I, I originally thought it would be more like $50, $60, for like mm -hmm. this whole apparatus thing. It's 30 bucks oh, wow. from their website, so super affordable. Yeah. And a pack of 350 micro filters is 5 bucks. Very affordable. Yes, so very, totally very affordable. affordable. Um, again, I think it's just like it's simple to manufacture because it's not a lot of moving parts. It's literally just molded plastic 
yeah <laughs> you know and, and these little micro filters so it's cheap um it won't break easily if it does you can actually from their website you can actually buy just the replacement part so if you like crack the the plunger mm-hmm. tube of it you can just buy a new one cool right things like that yeah so very easy um they also do sell several accessories on their website so like scrapers for cleaning uh, a whole like travel kit kind of Mm -hmm. a thing that includes like a bag to actually carry it in so it doesn't get damaged and you can keep everything together and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's kind of just like a wonderful little invention and i really want to try it yeah it sounds too like if it's not really that expensive it might be like a worthy investment for you anyway considering you do a lot of like backpacking and day tripping and things yeah. like that. I mean, I have three ways of making, four ways of making coffee at home. Because I have a drip, I have a mocha pot, I have a, actually a travel French press that I use when I am backpacking and uh-huh. camping. It's like literally a French press built into a small travel mug. Okay. Which is kind of fun. I think I've, I've seen those yeah. before. And yeah. then I have, I own the V60. So I have four sure. ways of making coffee at home. I now have I <laughs> a drip coffee maker. <laughs> I really want to get a percolator, but that's like a campfire percolator. But yes, I mean, you could throw that on the stove. That's essentially what a mocha pot is. Too. Yeah. So in any case, so that's the AeroPress. Fun little sharp. Interesting. Kind of almost toy like coffee making device. Yeah. Wonderful. Very practical. Yes. Very practical, too. All right. But the next one that I want to talk about today is the French press. This is a pretty historic device. Okay. It's one of the older ways of making coffee, technically. Is it actually French? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> yes. So it is contested kind ah. of a thing. So the French press, or cafetiere, is an extremely simple mechanism to make coffee, and it uses the simple brewing method of steeping to, brewing, to brew coffee, so kind of like tea. It's essentially a cylindrical container, usually glass or metal, with a mesh... Uh, steel mesh or metal mesh plunger built into the top after letting the coffee steep you press the plunger to filter out this or separate the grounds then you can pour or serve the coffee the thing to note about this is you do want to drink the coffee somewhat quickly uh, within 10 minutes of it <laughs> that's being what i've done, heard yeah uh, or at least pour it reasonably soon after it's done steeping or put it into another container mm-hmm. as it will continue to get stronger the longer you let it sit just like regular tea you leave a tea bag in it's going to get stronger so in order to keep like the freshness or keep it at the same strength or concentration level you want to serve it or drink it quickly so that's a simple definition uh but how did we get this particular brewing method well the french press as we know it today is really a battle of patents Hmm. we've seen this before on our show i think with the espresso machine it wasn't so much a battle it's just kind of people kept adding to it yeah and making it their own and Mm -hmm. popularizing that yeah so it's kind of similar to that it was a little more controversial okay uh, or a little more people battling it out in europe but uh there is a fun legend behind its initial discovery and goes like this at some point in the early to mid 1800s very non-defined okay. time period, right? A Frenchman, bum, 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 yeah, bum, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a Frenchman was boiling water to make coffee and realized that he had forgotten to put his beans in, so he quickly threw them in and let them s- steep in the boiling water. However, the beans kept rising to the top of the tankard, and in order to keep them from boiling out or not steeping through the water, he purchased a metal screen from a passing Italian merchant. So this is where the debate comes in, Italian or French. With this screen, he was able to keep the beans or grounds submerged so they wouldn't, like, you know, fully come out of the pot and it would actually continue steeping. 
Um, and he used a stick to push the grinds so he could pour the coffee. So he used the metal, the mesh top, so the so the beans wouldn't fly out with the boiling water. And then when he was done boiling the water, he used a stick to just kind of press this like mesh uh, top down to kind of separate it out mm -hmm. so he could actually pour the coffee out. And though he was expecting a mediocre cup, he was pleasantly surprised at how good it was. He was like, oh, this actually works pretty well. In fact, both of them were, as as the legend goes, the Italian merchant was also invited to share this coffee with him as a thanks for like, oh, thanks for providing me yeah. with this like mesh top so I could actually make coffee. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the legend behind the story and thus the beginning of the Battle of the Patents. Uh, obviously, I can't find any truth to this. This is literally just like, a, a couple story, articles a talked about tale. yeah talked yeah. about this tall tale um but it does demonstrate the contention between whether or not it is the french press is actually french or might be italian so begins this war uh the first patent was placed in 1852 by two frenchmen mayor and delforge which are not french names but apparently they were french men uh, <laughs> or at least their patent was placed in france yeah so ipso facto they're now french uh they're <laughs> we're french now we oui, we oui. yes uh their patent their patent actually looks like what you'd expect it to be essentially a metal tankard with a mesh plunger uh running through the lid or the mesh you know round yeah. plunger with a metal pole running through the lid so right, you can actually right, push right. it down however the one thing that they were missing was a seal around the mesh circular mesh plunger to okay. keep the beans from coming through the sides okay so it just so, wasn't as so the grounds would still get through got it essentially yeah it would just like it would float to the top and you'd get like a very ground like gritty cup of coffee yikes so the next major patent and the one that most closely resembles what we have to today was placed by italians attilio calamani uh, and giulio manetta in 1929 those are very italian names yes exactly this was also uh 1929 to 1952 so that's 80 years later almost wow that it was finally changed like this sure. seal was finally added um and this is that's really all they did they pretty much designed the well, same I thing mean, and if you think about it, it rubbers and plastics came out at that yes. time so it was easier to make those kinds of things for the you know and someone probably was like oh yeah we could probably improve that like press coffee maker thing yes. yeah so this is now where it gets a little more complicated between italy and france so the most popular design was patented by a swiss man oh God. with a very italian name Valerio bondanini <laughs> in 1958 okay so swiss italian probably Got it. but the uh and this brewer was well known and loved in france and was produced by the company martin sa as the chambord okay so it was invented by this swiss man who is probably swiss italian or maybe italian and just had swiss citizen citizenship but it was produced by martin sa so by a french company Got as it. the chambard so it was or chambord c-h-a-m-b-o-r-d chambord interesting chambord is also the name of a liqueur yes yeah yeah so it's kind of almost officially french or at least this design is officially french because it's produced and manufactured in france got it but this is the classic french press as we all 
No. Mm-hmm. It has a clear glass vessel, steel lid, a round handle. It has those like four little posts. So the glass right. like vessel kind yeah. of sits in this like steel metal basket frame. type thing. Yeah, yeah. basket. It's yeah. a frame. frame. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the popularity of the Chambord in France is what gave it its name the, of the French press. The French press. Because okay. it was just so popular as a at home brewing method yeah and this is still in the pre-drip coffee days mm-hmm. so of course so at pretty much at this time you had either stovetop <clears throat> percolators or the french press yes. in europe these were the main ways of making coffee at home and this was i mean it involved heat in boiling water but you didn't have to like a percolator you have to watch it on the stove like it will overflow like at, at the technology that they had at the time yes. it would overflow very easily a french press is much easier to deal with so that's kind of what lent itself to this really pop uh, to its popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bon Danini later marketed his patent as La Cafetière Classic in the UK. So Cafetière, it literally just being the French word for French press. Okay. So it, it's, but he would market it as La Cafetière Classic. So the French press cla- classic. So if you ordered a French press in France, you wouldn't, you would order a Cafetière, not a French press. Interesting. Right. Okay. It's, it's just like you wouldn't order a Swiss fondue in Switzerland. You would just order fondue. Fondue. Yeah. Right. However, in the 1960s, a near twin was being marketed in the UK by a Martin S.A. investor, Louis James Deville Castel. So one of their own like producers or investors <laughs> or whatever started marketing his own version of the French press in the that's, UK in the 60s. That's unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he had this other company in Britain called Household Articles Limited, which made a copycat. <laughs> that's such a British name I for know. a company. Households Articles Limited. Yeah. Uh, which made a copycat Chambard and sold it under the name Le Cafetier. But in 1991, Martin Essay was bought by a Danish company, Bodum. Bodum had been Oh yeah, Bodum. Okay. Yep, Bodum had been marketing the Chambord in their in the Netherlands for a while, but in 1991 they bought full rights to the name and design. Mhm. So they were the Danish manufacturers and then they just bought the whole the whole thing. Got it. Uh, the Chambord is still produced by Bodum nearly internationally. So if you go to like Target or Amazon and you want to buy a French press, it'll say Chambord and then Bodum will Bodum. be the company name. Okay. Uh, and with the acquisition by Bodum, Deville Castel lost the rights to call their product anything but Le Cafetier in France. So they can't call it a Chambord or anything, like mm, marketing-wise, in it. France, because they own the names to that. Well, yeah, yeah, that's how that works. And as Bodum didn't, yeah, so they pretty much didn't want their replica to be confused. They didn't want their um, beloved Chambord to be confused with this now british knockoff kind of a thing because they're the original french press makers especially in france and it's one of those just like how dare you sully our name with this imitation kind of a thing but to this day there are still legal disputes over distribution and naming throughout europe so these two companies as well as others who are making it are like knocking you know just like having tons of legal disputes throughout Europe about what they can actually call it. Right. Because Chambord was like the name of it, but it's also describing what it is. Yeah. You know, it's like trying to like trademark espresso maker as a name. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Drip coffee. Trademarking like a computer. You can't trademark the name computer because you can make different kinds of computers. Exactly. Well, that's, that's, I'm sure that's a headache for someone in Europe. (laughs) Yeah feel bad for those attorneys yeah but there are lots of different names for the french press out there uh so you have chambord cafetiere and french press it is also known as cafetiere et piston I think. i've heard cafetiere before yes. i think i've even seen that on like products when we were 
over like mm-hmm. in Germany, I, I saw Cafetiere. Yeah, because it was probably marketed over. in the French word, not as French press. Right over there. Yeah, I think French press is a little more of an Americanized or Europe or uh, anglicized. So Cafetiere Piston, so piston or plunger. Uh, Cafetiere Cafetiera a Stantufo. A press pot, a coffee press, and a coffee plunger. Uh, but you can buy a real Bodum Chambord French press for $25 to $36 on Amazon, depending on the size sure. that you want. So I think they go from like a maybe four to six cup up to like an eight. I've seen up or, to 12. Yeah, I think you the can 12 get up to 12. The 12 ones are big, yeah. yeah My very, friend had an big. eight cup one. So the French press has largely remained the same since. Uh, several designers and manufacturers have done things to update it, like Espro, a Vancouver-based company that installed a double filter in a stainless steel pot, so there's virtually no sediment that gets through. Okay. So no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be a little bit of grit yeah. that kind of gets through, but they say that there's no sediment if they're with their new invention. Um, another company, the Wright Team of California, made the Wright Coffee Press, R-I-T-E, uh, which is essentially a French press where you don't have to worry about the mess of cleaning up the grounds after brewing. Okay. I think it's still in pre-production or like on... Um, like Prototype. A Go, yeah, like GoFundMe kind of Got like, it. you know... Put money in and it's you'll crowdsourcing. Get yeah, crowdsourcing. Uh, so there are several iterations, variations, and adaptations of the French press, but again, it's been pretty much the same since it's initial yeah, invention. Yeah, it, it, to, it, to me, it seems like one of those very just tried and true inventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yes. Yeah. So what should this taste like? Uh, French press should taste bold and strong with a full body and a, a bit of texture because you're yeah. going to get a little bit of the grit from the beans. That's just par for the course. But since there is no paper filter... Oils from the coffee beans will also infuse into the steeped coffee, giving added aroma and flavors. Mm-hmm. So I know, like we talked about with the AeroPress, like they have the the micro filter, so it removes that uh, right the the oils from it, which in espresso can kind of give it a bit of acidity and a bit of a bite. Yeah. But because French press is brewing more slowly, it's those oils are not as sharp, and they actually add flavor to it. Okay. Which is really nice. French presses are not about tasting the individual flavors per se, as just getting a strong, full-bodied like coffee taste. Yeah. Uh, most people use a medium to dark roast coffee in their French press uh, to help get that full-bodied flavor, and because of the way it's brewed, it pulls like a less acidity uh, from the beans, so it gives a smoother fini- finish as well. Yeah, so it's just okay. kind of like a full-bodied coffee flavor. Yeah. Typically on the darker side, I mean, most people use dark roasts or medium to dark roasts for your french press Inter- yeah interesting mm-hmm. to me french press coffee is always it, it is noticeably stronger mm-hmm. but it does have like a steep taste to it which i know sounds kind of like you know how could you tell that but there is a lot of it just all there present at the forefront so i maybe that's why i don't like it as much because it is so front heavy on mm-hmm. flavor it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to not drink it without kind of like wincing a little bit for, yeah. for me at least yeah see i don't because there's no acidity to it it's one of the sure. few coffees that I will drink black because there's I don't need anything to cut it. Uh, it's see that's the thing for me. It's just it's so much. It's like yeah. it's just so high volume on everything. Mm-hmm. I I like drip coffee. That's just how I'm accustomed to drinking yeah. it. So, so how do you make a good French press coffee? Um, first, you're gonna fill the French press with water to preheat. Mm-hmm. Like all of our manual brewing methods, you want to yes. preheat them. 
Second, you measure out how much coffee you're going to grind. Standard is 5 to 7 grams or 1 tablespoon of coffee to 100 grams or about a half cup of water. So for a standard 16-ounce French press, you want about 4 tablespoons of coffee. Okay. Third, grind the coffee coarsely. So as opposed to air press, on the opposite end, you want it to be coarse because this is essentially so the coffee won't go through the mesh plunger. Sure. Right. If it's too fine, it's going to get through and you're going to get a really uh, gritty flavor. Uh, or gritty texture to the coffee fourth boil fresh water and empty the french press of the water that was used to preheat it put in the a fifth put in the coffee grounds and pour the new hot water in keep in mind here that you don't want the water to be at a rolling boil just under boiling so boil it then let it sit for 30 to 60 seconds before you put it in the into the french press six is stir the coffee grounds in the water to break them up so with the aeropress you want right. to pour a little bit in and then stir them with the French press, you can fill the whole thing up, then stir the coffee grounds because mm. you don't want them to like clump together. Yeah. Essentially. And then you put in the lid or put on the lid with the plunger and let it sit for four minutes. So this is one of those like set for a little bit, mm-hmm. walk away. If you're making breakfast in the morning, you know. Yeah, that like, seems to make your itself own meal. very much to like if you're going to eat a breakfast, mm-hmm. not just make Absolutely. a pot of coffee. So at the end of the timer, remove the lid and scrape off the coffee grounds that floated to the top. You don't have to do this, but they recommend it so you just it doesn't compact as much. Right. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Because um, some of it will have settled to the bottom. Whatever's on the top, just scrape it off the top. Then replace the lid and slowly push the plunger down, compressing the coffee grounds to the bottom and serve immediately. If there's anything left, place it in another container uh, so the so it doesn't continue to extract. Right. So that's how to make a French press cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, it's actually a lot of the articles I found, too, were about how this is seen on American and European breakfast tables the world over. Oh, my like, Lord. You see them in a lot of like those kind of like 1950s, 60s, like advertisements. Like there's always a French pe- press on the middle of the mm-hmm. breakfast table. But I, I feel like going into the 80s, 90s with the invention of the, the drip coffee maker, that kind of really fell by the wayside. Yeah. And I think, too, it's one of those things where it was a, a an element, too, of its design where it matched you know, the 1950s, 60s aesthetic, mm-hmm. the postmodern aesthetic. But once you started getting into, like, we, you know, other coffee trends took over. Espresso became more and more popular. Coffee shop culture would free flourish mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. And, and I think also the, the advent of coffee to go is French press yeah. is not, like, it's not very affordable. No, like, you can make it and then pour it into a travel mug, but... It's easier to do that on a. On well, the a other drip thing too is that just French press is meant to, to be drank immediately. Yeah, it's not meant to be to sit in a thermos all day and sipped mm-hmm. on. And I think that just the nature of Americans, I think in particular, are not the sit down have breakfast culture that they used to be mm-hmm. in the '50s, '60s, and '70s. So nowadays, it is a you know I have to have my egg bites yeah. with my to go yeah. coffee. So I mean, you know, maybe this is like now. the nice like specialty like Sunday morning breakfast like yeah. coffee cup i think it might have received a little bit of a resurgence actually in the pandemic at this with this everyone working from home because mm-hmm. you had people had the time to sit down and make a cup of coffee yeah. but it, and also they had to yeah <laughs> so well, what but, i like about know, this yeah. too is if you're like working from home or like working on something at home you can make the french press kind of gather your stuff you know if you like have an at-home office 
you know, start the French press, let it sit, get your workstation set up, and then by the time you're done, the French press will probably be done steeping, plunge it, and then just bring the whole French press in into your office or your study with you with a coffee cup and just pour it, drink, pour it, drink kind of a thing. That's kind of what I like. I used to have a French press a while ago when I first, I think when I first moved to Chicago and it was really nice because I didn't have to like get up and go back to the kitchen to pour more coffee. I just brought it out to the living room with me, which is really nice because it's just a little more portable. Sure. See, I am a drip coffee person but yeah french press we never had a french press growing up i think my parents had one but they never used it and i think i've owned well now i have that little portable one um Mm -hmm. but i've owned two others in my life i think i had one when i was in college for a little bit because i just wanted to Hmm. try it to see if i would like it i think like my junior or senior year i didn't end up using it that much i was like yeah this is too like long to make too much of a process and then when i first moved to chicago i got one as well because i just i just wanted to have a different way of making coffee than a, a drip you know if i was like off that day or didn't have to go into work until later but then i just kind of fell off of using it but uh, the cool thing is there are a lot of coffee shops especially your more european inspired ones that will offer french press on the menu and they're like these cute little like i want to say probably 12 ounce maybe a little bit less Mm -hmm. french presses that are like give you like a cup and a half of coffee yeah which is just like they'll bring it out to you with the plunger up and they'll be like wait a couple minutes and then go ahead and put the plunger yeah down. like it's like it's really kind of like a nice treat if you're gonna go to a coffee shop and like read a book for a while instead of ordering like a latte or like a coffee that like a drip coffee you could treat yourself to a french press and they'll just bring out that little small one that's cute so those are a lot that's of fun cool. Awesome. So those are my two manual brewing methods, which are kind of on the steep and plunge side. Yeah. We are going to take a break before we get to my methods, which are on the pour overs. They're the pour over ones. Yes. Yeah. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support. For as low as $2 per month, you can get access a day early to every new episode of We're Getting a Dog and other Arcadia Podcast Network shows, such as Coffee's On and Good Food for Bad Friends. And at higher levels, you can get one-of-a-kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. We are back, and I am going to take you through the pour-over methods of making coffee. So the first one is the V60. The V60 brewing method is originally credited to the Hario Company of Japan. The company was first founded as the Hiromu Shibata Works and operated out of the Kanda Sudacho district in the Chiyoda ward of Tokyo. So there's like lots of like spaces and wards and sections of Tokyo if you go on a map. So they began in 1921 selling chemically treated laboratory grade glass products such as the long thin evaporative tubes common to the late 19th century and early 20th century science 
science labs. By the early 1940s, the company began researching its methods of glass melting and constructed the first of its many glass melting factories in Japan. In 1947, the company then began to manufacture and sell its own in-house brand of glass beakers, flasks, petri dishes, and coolers. Through years of research, in 1949, they succeeded in producing Hario glass for the first time. That's spelled H-A-R-I-O. This glass is especially hard and non-porous and is named Hario because of its meaning. Uh, in Japanese, Hario means king of glass. Hario is still the only Japanese specialty glass manufacturer that has its own factories, which I thought was kind of really interesting. A lot of the other companies they have to outsource. The coffee maker was not this company's top priority, though. They specialized in a wide range of glass products, most of which were used in the scientific sector, not so much in the consumer market. However, they did launch their first coffee siphon in 1949, or coffee filter siphon in 1949, and by 1957, this model was commonly used as a cloth-filtered coffee siphon that Hario only sold in Japan. So it was not available in America. It was just like a you'd use a reusable cloth filter and it was just like a regular like filter stand you could brew coffee through could not find much about it so this was not like an electric drip or anything no like this was a this was a pour over method so it but it was not okay. the v60 okay yeah so potentially a precursor kind of a sort thing? of it's like the idea but there's our there's another precursor we'll get to Throughout the rest of the 20th century, the Hario Company, which was rebranded in 1964 from its former name to just the Hario Company, dominated the they dominated the heatproof glass industry in Japan, and they also continued to research and innovate their processes of glass melting. In 1972, their first all-electric glass melting process was first used and went on to become their standard to virtually eliminate a carbon footprint from the company, which is kind of interesting. Thought that was really cool. Hario is a very impressive company, but I know what you're all thinking. When does coffee come into all the history? Well, in the 1980s, Japan was going through a home design revolution that would continue into the 1990s. Hario began selling what has now become to be seen as the prototype of the V60, the mini coffee dripper. The design looks just like a V60 and a Chemex sort of crossed together and then shrunken down. So it's like an open filtered hourglass apparatus. You put a conical filter into it and you pour the coffee over, but it only makes four cups. So it, there's no other sizes, but it looks like it could have been a V60, but if it was just attached to okay. a, a, a cup, basically. Okay. And I think it was detachable if I'm right maybe to clean or something like that to, to use you could like drink out of the mug oh, part okay. but the the cone like attached to it to okay. drip the coffee through yeah this product performed decently enough and then in 2004 the first v60 debuted on the coffee market since its release the v60 has become revolutionary in the coffee industry so like we brew in this manner on our show too so we can get out the flavors that are specific to those coffees v60s are known to be a pour over brewing method of choice because of its ability to get a perfect extraction if you do it the correct way or a quote perfect extraction um so that's why we do the v60 on the show as well as a drip just so we can get the different flavor profiles based on the different brewing methods. The design and name are also derived from a couple of different things. When the product was first being designed, the equation y equals x squared and the parabola that it creates served as a way to 
like mathematically explain why it looks the way it does. They ended up like turning it into a V. And so their whole thought was that it was such a sound mathematical principle that in use in nature and use in science that it was possible to use it as a method of brewing coffee. Cool. I don't know math, so I'm not good at math. So, um, and then the name V60 itself comes from the solid 60 degree angle on all sides that when you look from the side looks like the letter V. So the V60. Yeah. While the V60 is now made in a variety of materials such as glass, ceramic, I believe ours is ceramic mm-hmm. we use hari a hario yeah, brand I, one. yeah like, so it's yeah it's porcelain in that i actually case yeah i actually looked at the the notes that you wrote and yeah. i was like oh hario i wonder if ours is hario because i think you just like you got it yeah off of it like i told you I'm like just get this one from amazon or whatever mm-hmm. and it ended up being a hario yeah. so it's that's a hario of, yeah that's and our nice. the little thing we brew into is also a hario it's, oh, the, little, it's uh, the little the the ceramic that's fine or the the clear glass yeah Carafe, it's carafe vessel. Thank vessel. you. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that in our case, ours is a porcelain one, and the brand name Hario V60 is made out of Arita Yaki porcelain, and that is specifically from Japan. Uh, you can buy, and like we said, you can buy the actual Hario glass carafes for V60s as well. We bought ours on Amazon, and yeah, it's interesting too. I think because Hario makes these on their in their own factories. This is like an in-house brand. This these are not outsourced to other factories. So, and they're relatively inexpensive too. I want to say they're about forty bucks on Amazon for the carafe and the the yeah. So right V60. now, like twenty three, twenty four dollars yeah. for the the V sixty drip like the actual um where the coffee filter goes and then 27 dollars for yeah, the carafe so maybe like 40 50 bucks so 50 dollars combined without the filter pack yeah so it'd be a great holiday gift idea now brewing a v60 not for us in case you were us. thinking because we already have one yes now for v60 but i could go for an aeropress i'd go for a chemex <laughs> no my I, my wish list is already long enough so brewing a v60 so you do a series of pours to do the the pour over methods you can't just dump water into a thing and then it makes coffee like in a drip uh first like we've mentioned with richard's uh like his micro filtered one the aeropress you need to wet the filter heat up the vessel and the pour over v60 so what you do is you put in your paper filter so that for the v60 you buy what are the number filters we buy for that one and they're not they're in a plastic bag they they're like a cone filter yeah you do have to buy specific like v60 yeah. filters for yes it. and so you put that in the v60 and then you boil you bring water to like a near boil or a boil and you want to wet the filter down and let that drip through size two so size two filters oh 100 count is just how many filters are in it yeah size two filters okay so you'll wet the filter heat up the vessel and then you'll dump that water out you're going to want to take 25 grams of medium ground medium coarse ground you do not want fine ground for a v60 you want so if you have like a grinder with settings you want it to be slightly on the coarse side from dead setter but still medium ground yes if you buy pre-ground medium ground is just fine so you can put that you put that in the filter 25 grams you have to weigh it out so if you have a, a gram scale in your kitchen good tool to have anyway if you're gonna if you like to bake or something like that or if you know that a certain like serving size like yeah we haven't actually done the math on this but if you counted out a certain amount of tablespoons 
you're yeah. like, oh, I know three and a half tablespoons gets me 25 grams. We, we did actually measure it because on mine, it, it says about four tablespoons of coffee. So okay. about four tablespoons of ground coffee goes into the wet filter and then boil just over about 400 milliliters of water. So that's about like a half a liter of water. So once that's boiled, you're going to do a series of pours. Now, there is a specific kettle you can buy that has a gooseneck spout on it. So that way you can pour the water carefully. You don't want to dump water into the V60. That is like mm -hmm. imperative to remember. So you'll want to pour in round, like circular motions around the filter. More the uh, circular and spiral. And spiral. So you kind okay, of yeah. you start in the middle and then spiral out and then spiral back in. Got it. As you go. Okay. And so you'll want to do the first one is 15 seconds. And you'll want to make sure that your scale goes just up. So you'll want to tear your scale. Sorry. So you'll have your, you'll, everything's sitting on your scale and it starts at zero. Then you put the water in. The first pour, you'll want to have that go up to 60 milliliters. So once you've poured your first 60 milliliters, you're going to wait 30 seconds. And then you're going to pour another 90 milliliters and then wait 30 seconds. And then you're going to pour 100 milliliters wait 30 seconds and then on your last one you're going to pour a hundred more milliliters and wait 30 seconds presumably all of the water will have brewed down and you have your finished cup and a half of coffee mm -hmm. so you have a series of four pours in total for a v60 and it takes about eh, anywhere from like five to six minutes to make pretty much in total um so that's and then, you know, that's base that's basically the V60. You drink it right out of the carafe. It is recommended for the V60. You you drink it quickly. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't let it sit. And usually you can like brew it right into your coffee cup. Um, yeah, you but could do it that way, too. I would I would do it. I would brew it into a carafe and then pour that into a coffee cup. One for serving purposes. And two, it's kind of like almost decanting wine like you want yeah. it to kind of aerate as the coffee like just sit as the brewed coffee well, the other reason you want to do it too is because if you use a mug that mug could be porous and could catch all of the chemical flavors of the filter that you've just cleaned mm -hmm. and not really let go of them the hario carafes are non-porous so they do not hold on to those flavors they come right out mm -hmm. so i mean they do make ones that I think go right into the coffee cup to brew less and stuff like that. But again, I just recommend doing it the way that they made it for. Mm -hmm. So and yeah, I Wesley mentioned like the circles and I talked about the spirals. Like when you pour it, you can't just like pour the water in directly. You do have to kind of do it in a motion. The yeah. way that I was taught is, yeah, you spiral from the inside to the outside and then back in as you're pouring it during those pours. And then you actually want to go in opposite direction every other pour. Like it's it's kind of intensive, but it's yeah. very specific because that way you're hitting all the grounds. You are making sure, you know, everything gets aerated, everything gets touched, all that kind of stuff it's like you know as we talk about this and i i didn't know that the v60 was japanese though i probably could have guessed because of how like specific and how it's a you process know, how detailed it is yeah. and that seems very much like a japanese tea ceremony or like some of the just the ways that like japanese food culture prepares food yeah it's, it's very totally. methodic in how it's done so that way it's presented in a very beautiful and delicious way yeah exactly it's about the flavor too yes. and the, i guess the other thing too about the v60 is that it's 
one of the specialty types of coffee that you can have made for you if you go to coffee shops. Like there's mm-hmm. Intelligentsia here. There is a V60 Intelligentsia shop where all they do is V60 pour over mm-hmm. of and their you, coffee. You also want to make sure when you're pouring the water into the coffee that you are not hitting the filter right. at all when you're pouring that coffee. You want to make sure the the water is coming into contact with the grounds because if you hit the filter, it's just going to essentially, the water is going to go through the filter immediately and just drip down the sidewalls of the yeah. cone-shaped V60. And so you're just going to dilute the coffee. You're not actually going to be like, it's not going to seep. And then the next one is the Chemex, which I actually found really interesting and I was really happy I got to research that one. So the Chemex Brewer was invented in 1941 by German-American inventor Peter Schlumbohm. And I love that name. It's fun to type. Schlumbohm had a hand in patenting more than 300 inventions. I tried in vain to find an exact number. His last patent was granted just one month before his death on November 6, 1952. He dedicated a portion of his career to the improvement of chemical refrigeration before World War II, but he's best known as the inventor of the Chemex coffee maker. So the Chemex was originally filed for a patent on April 3rd, 1939, and then it was officially patented on May 6th of 1941. It is a manual coffee maker that uses an hourglass-shaped Pyrex brand glass flask with a split piece of wood held together with a leather strap at the neck to enable you to handle the coffee pot and serve directly out of it. Chemex coffee makers to this day are still polished, have the wood and leather attached, and are boxed completely by hand, which I think is a really nice touch. The idea for the Chemex was born from Dr. Schlumbaum's dissatisfaction with how he had to make his coffee. He wanted to figure out an easy and efficient way basically to do it himself, which I think is kind of funny because all I imagine is this like grumpy German-American man who's like, I can't make my coffee. Like, I just need it easier. Like, like I hate it how this tastes. I yeah. don't want to go out. I want to make it at home. So he drew upon his extensive background in chemistry and physics to configure a brewing method in which perfect coffee flavor extraction was easily made possible. A unique feature of how this coffee brewing method works is how dependent it is on the filter that you buy for the Chemex. It uses a specific bonded paper filter that you can purchase for most higher-end grocery stores or online directly from Chemex or through other various retailers. The thickness of the filter is between 20 to 30 percent more thick than standard paper filters and allows it to absorb more of the, quote, bitter oils and stuff that we've talked about, kind of like paper filters, just that's what they do and other residue that come from brewing your coffee, and it gives you a clean, flavorful taste. However, as of 2021, there appears to be a shortage of the different kinds of filters that you can buy. So now was not the best time to switch. To a Chemex. <laughs> to a Chemex. You could start with the V60. Yes. And then grab a Chemex yes. if you want to go there. Because number two filters step. are used in other things besides just V60s. Mm-hmm. The Chemex website is chock full of information about their products and history. So I would be remiss if I did not share some of the tidbits that I found most interesting. So I'm going to take you through my highlights of the Chemex timeline. <laughs> Uh, They literally have a timeline on their website. It's great. In 1942, Dr. Schlumbaum wanted to get some marketing done for his new product, so he gave one to the housewares buyer for Macy's department store in New York. He told him to try it out for himself and, like, for its ease of use and get back to him. The buyer was so impressed with the Chemex that he told Schlumbaum that the the next day that he'd be running advertisements for the product as soon as possible. 
So this is really cool to me. The first 500 Chemexes that were sold at the time exclusively at Macy's were reportedly made by Dr. Schlumbaum and the future vice president of Chemex, Mary Foley, in his apartment in Manhattan. Wow. They made them, boxed them, uh, like attached the wooden leather stuff, did it all just in his apartment That's to get cool. it done at first. Yeah. In 1943, Chemex coffee makers were first put on display at the Museum of Modern Art or the MoMA in New York City as a part of their useful objects exhibit. Today, 23 of Schlumbaum's inventions are on permanent display there. The Chemex received further notable marketing in 1956 when James Bond's breakfast is described in detail in From Russia with Love by Ian Fleming. So I'm going to quote that whole passage here for you because I just think it's like a lot. I do actually remember reading this. Yeah. So here's the quote. Breakfast was Bond's favorite meal of the day. When he was stationed in London, it was always the same. It consisted of very strong coffee from Debray and or Debris or Debray, Debray, Debray in New Oxford Street, brewed in an American Chemex, of which he drank two large cups, black and without sugar. The single egg in the dark blue egg cup with a gold ring around the top was boiled for three and a third minutes. But anyways, yeah, I just thought it was. I think it's interesting too that it's branded as the an American Chemex too, because it really is not a German product. He was a German American immigrant, so yeah. So I know it's like, you know, it's a nice touch in a Bond book. Mm-hmm. In 1961, Schlumbaum created a 36 cup version. Other sources say it was as large as 50 cups Ooh. of the Chemex for restaurant use, calling it this. I love this. The Chemex Samovar. I think that's such a good name. I know. <laughs> Reminds me of Age of Empires. To have this model in a restaurant, the restaurateur had to sign a licensing agreement that entrusted them to brew the coffee exactly as the directions instructed to assure their quality. So I couldn't find much information about how many of these were manufactured. There's no like surviving photos. There's a patent for them. I'm sure not a lot. Mm, that would be my guess too, because like, they're, have to they're be Pyrex a... glass. Yeah. They're not made of any other material. Yeah, you'd have to also be a really good at like making it on yeah. such a large scale. Yeah. Too. You'd have to, like, hire someone that just probably did that. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Dr. Schlumbaum sadly died at the age of 66 in 1962. And then during the 1970s, Chemex would shift hands in ownership and operations several times, but continued to successfully market their products, even as the first automated drip coffee maker started coming out. Uh, a notable moment of the Chemex in 1970s pop culture was the use of one on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Chemex fit in perfectly with the small but functional apartment that the character Mary Richards had for much of the time on the show. So if you watch Mary Tyler Moore show, which is a great sitcom, um, she uses a Chemex for, I think the first like seven seasons. And the other thing that I think is interesting as drip coffee makers came out, Chemex actually made a drip coffee maker Hmm. that would, it was literally just, I think a water, like a water heater spout that would just drip Drip into your Chemex. Yeah. But I don't think they don't make them anymore. I don't see them on their website. Obviously, I think that was kind of a just a kitschy tryout of the new appliance craze. So in 1980, the Chemex Corporation would become family owned again when the Grassy family purchased the company. They also began a campaign to revive the brand from coffee obscurity. And since the late 1980s and early 1990s, the Chemex brand has launched and relaunched an array of their coffee products. This year in 2021, Chemex is celebrating its 80th anniversary and the company has become popular again as the third wave of coffee peaks and pour over coffee has received a revival in large part, really, thanks to the V60. Mm -hmm. But Chemex has really kind of 
increased its profile since then. And they've just gone through like kind of a big re-imaging campaign. So Chemex is really becoming another not so niche way of making coffee. It's it's especially nowadays, too, as the like minimal home living stuff and farm to table really plays a big thing. I know Mm -hmm. Chemex has got really popular again because they're used in kind of like the home decor sections and it's department it's stores. Pretty. I mean, yeah, and it's, they're it's a very they're pretty put way on display to like in museums yeah, too. To accent so. your kitchen to make it look better. Because, I like how you said yeah. it's in museums. Like I know, I would love to see one of these, you know, exhibits that's like the beauty of modern design for right. like appliances and things. Well, like that. and the thing is, is that it came out in wartime and it wasn't made of metal. It's made of borosilicate, which is Pyrex glass. Mm-hmm. So it's stovetop safe for mm-hmm. electric and gas as long as you have a flat top electric. Yeah. Um, which means you could keep it hot, hot you, and you can reheat coffee. It's fridge safe. Mm-hmm. So you could put it in the fridge and you can have cold coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also it, it was, it's an easier pour over method than a V60, which I'm about to get to. It's much easier to actually brew in a yeah. Chemex. So, but I do love how like the Chemex and the V60 mm-hmm. and a lot of these brewing methods that we're talking about today are very minimal, uh, and yeah. very pretty. That's like the, the designs thing. of these uh, implements are just very pretty. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you were saying, these these ways, these types of brewing coffee is becoming more popular because of the aesthetic, but also because like as you're seeing this rise in minimalism in design, but also just in, you know, having less in the home. You know, it's easy yeah. to have instead of having multiple appliances that each one does something different, you can just get like a, you know, hot water electric kettle or even a stovetop. Kettle. I want to get a stovetop kettle. And then my mom stole my stovetop yeah. kettle. And then you could have, you know, oh, when I need to make coffee, I'll just pull my V60 out of the cupboard, make the coffee, and then put it away out of sight, out of mind, instead of constantly having this coffee maker mm-hmm. sitting on your your counter, taking yeah. up space. So it's it's kind of like a clean living, again, kind of farm to table, just kind of like it's a culmination of all of these different types yeah and i think too in modern culture it is about people discovering that they might actually just like the process too which is how i feel i like the process of getting up and making coffee in the morning granted Mm -hmm. i do a drip but it's i like the action it's an it's it's a routine so brewing in the chemex um you're gonna want to get a medium coarse ground coffee they also recommend grinding that like right before brewing not using grounds like pre-ground coffee. You'll want to put the filter into your Chemex then. Uh, you can buy different filters for the Chemex. There's the the cone filter. There's the fold-it-yourself filter, which I think that's the one that's on a shortage because that's the most popular. And then there's like square ones that you make into like a little diamond cone and pour your coffee or pour your water through that way. Either way, the thick portion of your filter should cover the pouring spout. That's the most important thing. It's recommended one rounded tablespoon of ground coffee for every five ounce into the Chemex. Uh, you, you can buy different sizes of the Chemex. It says on their website, three cup, six cup, eight cup, ten cup. Oh, wow. Okay. So next, uh, after you've gotten your your uh like your filter in you're gonna wet your filter like we've said you're gonna like pour water around it just to get all the taste out warm up the bottom of the chemex and then you're gonna pour that water out so uh you can just lift the filter slightly and it'll pour out of the spout and then you're going to put your coffee in like we so like i said one rounded tablespoon for every five ounces 
Um, and it even says on the website, feel free to use more if you prefer it stronger. So yeah, that's kind of up to taste. It's not as exact as the V60 is. Uh, the, then you're going to do a first pour, but it's just like a little bit of water. And it's called to the blooming, like a like a coffee bloom pour. So this is just to really kind of get the grounds wet for the first time. Yes, that's similar to what you do in the V60. Yeah, too. that first pour mm-hmm. of 60 milliliters. That's to get the coffee to bloom and aerate. Yes. And then um, you're going to do a first pour. So you're going to slowly keep pouring the water in. And then once it's up about like a quarter inch above the ground, you're going to stop. And then once it's gone back down, you can pour the rest of the water, hot water in to brew. And then you just let it sit and brew until it's done. So a little less involved, a little less involved. You do, you do a total of three pours. Basically Mm -hmm. you do a bloom pour, a first pour to get it just so it'll start brewing. And then once it's gone down enough, basically you can add the rest. rest If there is more, that sounds nice. It is. Sometimes with the V60, I'm like, I want to make this at home. Like while we're not recording, but I never do because it's like, like, that's just a lot of involved. Also, I don't have a good grinder. So, so once your, once your coffee is brewed, uh, you can throw, you grab the filter out by hand and you that they have their filters are longer on the top so you can grab them and kind of fold them and seal them Mm -hmm. so you throw that away and then yeah after that there's your coffee it's in the bottom portion you can reheat it on the stove you can let it cool down and put it in the fridge if you enjoy like iced coffee you can do it that way like there it's a actually a really handy like nice methodical way to make coffee i i kind of want a chemex after reading it yeah me too like it's it just seems so much easier than the v60 i mean yeah i really only make i like how it looks it's kind of groovy looking and you can now get the the leather strap customized in color if you want to i was looking at buying one they are a little pricey the chemex runs you uh, for like the the, six cup cup i think is like 50 uh 46.98 so with shipping that's probably about 60 bucks yeah and that doesn't include the filters no which there is a shortage of right now in 2021 if you're listening in 2021 if if you're listening in the future then it's probably fine but you have to you have to buy Chemex filters. That is the other thing. There are no other brands they recommend buying. You should only buy the brand filter. So that's kind of a to me, that's a little bit of a deterrent because it's very centric of a brand. But at the same time, we're recording the show on an Apple computer. So who am I to judge? But yeah, so the, <laughs> the filters are about 11 bucks on their website uh, for a pack of 100. Yeah. And I think they still have the the the, the square and the circular cone filter, like yes. the pre-folded. Yep. The, the most popular kind to buy are the actually the unfolded ones. People, I guess that's like maybe that was just the original way it was done. You had to fold your filters yourself. But either way, yeah, that's the Chemex. I really like the Chemex. Yeah, um, that's a cool, <clears throat> cool, cool item. Like even when I worked yeah. in coffee that I we did V60. Port, we offered V60 at the coffee studio. I mean, yeah. they still do. And we sold Chemex there because we actually sold some of these coffee like ways of brewing coffee. Yeah. I think we had a French press available, uh, Chemex, a V60. We had filters available uh, and we had some like little other coffee accessories and travel mugs and yeah. things like that. And I never really knew what the difference was, mostly because we didn't offer Chemex, like we didn't make it for customers. So sure. I never really delved into it, but mostly into V60. But I'm kind of wishing I, I knew about it a little earlier because yeah. it seems kind of fun. 
Yeah, they I like they look really cool to me. They look kind of groovy. They they're a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and design. they're yeah, and that's they've won tons and tons of praise for their functionality and like design. the design awards kind yeah, of thing. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's. I feel like they might have been on a list. I remember a while ago finding a list of set, like the top 100 most beautiful designed products yeah. in history sure. kind of a thing. And I'm pretty sure the Chemex was in that list totally. somewhere. I know the the French Openel knife yes. was because yeah. it's just a gorgeous looking. It's so practical and they're pretty cheap now too. But it's oh, just yeah. a gorgeous looking pocket knife. Oh yeah, the design has been copied a ton. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are going to close out our first like set of episodes, our first season with a uh, episode on the roast and roasting process. So that will be our last episode for 2021. Yes. Which is pretty cool. And then we will come back 2022 with hitting the ground hard. So, yeah. We're not going to say oh. what it's about, but you can probably guess. We'll announce that at the end of uh, our next and last episode of this round. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to come back with that which will be a lot of fun. But yeah, one more episode for a little bit, and then we're going to take a little holiday break. Yes, we and have lots of stuff going on in the next couple months, yeah. so lots of life to do. So Absolutely. We'll still try to post on our Instagram, though, yeah. like especially like any holiday roasts or things like that that come out you know that yeah. we might want we might try and recommend kind of a thing we might post about that or plus you or and i you and i should just post on there if we hang out so yeah <laughs> we could use that as a platform so yeah, yeah. absolutely so <laughs> there you are so that's yeah. all about the manual brewing methods we will probably cover the electric or stovetop or whatever brewing method oh yeah we have those too but we just wanted to cover because i know we still have turkish coffee and cold brew and percolators in the mocha pot yeah those all might actually be individual episodes depending on how much we can probably given their history so yeah yeah but either way thank you all so much for listening to this episode of coffee's on and we will see you next time with the episode of roasts and roasting This podcast is written and produced by Richard Isolafel and Wesley Van Heusen and is a part of the Arcadia Podcast Network. Check out our Instagram at Coffees on Podcast to see the different coffees we try with each episode. Thank you for listening. See you next time on Coffees on.